Gracious Heavenly Father, we think we've come to know the Gospel and many of us have. But at the point, Father, where we're tested in our faith, at the point, Father, where we feel our sin, at the point that the devil accuses us and even at death, we do realise how weak our faith is. Father, we pray that you would grant us hearing. Not the hearing of our inner voice that accuses or the voice of the world, but the voice of you, our Heavenly Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If I said to you this morning, just just to test your hearing, and I'm going to test your hearing, not whether you have hearing aids, if I said to you this morning, the only sin in the New Testament church is forgiven sin. How do you hear that? The only sin in the New Testament church is forgiven sin. See, Luther put reason and faith in opposite directions. He actually said where human reasoning works, we work by law. We couldn't possibly be given such a treasure as the Gospel the gift of the Holy Spirit, eternal life, simply by hearing with faith. Reason can't handle that. When I was a young Christian and struggling with my conscience and even just struggling to read the Scriptures, I read something, and I believe it was from Augustine, but I'm not sure, where it said faith equals understanding. And my whole mind and heart flipped. Faith equals understanding. To understand God, to understand the Gospel, it requires faith. Now, Abraham did reason. He reasoned that God was able to provide him a child even though he and Sarah were beyond the age of bearing a child. But he reasoned reasoned on the basis of God's faithfulness. So, reason, when combined with faith in God's faithfulness, actually works all right. So let's go back. What goes on in you when I say to you now the only sin in the New Testament church is forgiven sin? Do you beat with joy? Or do you beat with doubt? Or do you have doubt and faith? And more than likely, it's faith with a little bit of doubt. We need to ask that because Paul is here dealing with a church that rather than growing went backwards. Rather than swimming with the tide, they went against the tide. And so bad was their fall that he says, O foolish Galatians, would you like Paul to be your pastor? O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has put a magic spell on you? Who has come and deceived you? Who has taken you from light and put you in darkness? It wasn't me. Who has done it? And he's pretty angry with the false teachers here. It was before your very eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. When I came to you, I vividly preached Christ and Him crucified so that when you were sitting there, you vividly saw God's Son crushed under the weight of our sin, bleeding for the sins of the world. I portrayed it. 
Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit? Did you receive God? Did you receive God the Holy Spirit? All the treasures of Christ by works of the law. Let me put it another way. Did you receive the treasure of the Spirit? Did you receive God and all the treasures of Christ by being good? I somehow think that we as the church thinks that God loves us, God accepts us because we're good. Somehow that that message has circled around. What did you do, says Paul? Now you might think that he's being harsh here, but having begun with the Spirit, they were now trying to be perfected by the flesh And Paul says, does God who gives the Spirit to you and even work miracles among you do so because you are being good or by hearing with faith? Now what you've got to remember is that foolishness here in this context goes like this. If we as God's children are trying to earn or work for the things that God has freely given us in Jesus Christ, what are we? Idiots. Fools. That's what he's saying. Imagine God has given it all to you freely in Jesus Christ and and all of a sudden you receive it all simply by hearing with faith only to turn around and say, now I am going to try and work for it. I am going to try and earn it. You're looking at me saying that. No one would do that. Yes, that's what we do. That's what happened. Now the Galatians had actually experienced the forgiveness of sins. They'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. They heard that God was not counting their sins against them in Christ. And Paul says, I want to ask you something. What did you do? What did you do to receive the Spirit? You sat there. Do you remember? You sat there. You were on your bottom. You were listening to me preach and all of a sudden by hearing God's Word in Christ, by hearing the Father's voice declare to you eternal life, forgiveness of sins, righteousness by faith, in hearing that, you bore all the fruit of the Spirit at once. See, to begin in the Spirit is to begin in love, joy, Peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They began in the Spirit. They had all the fruit of God. How do you get all the fruit of God? How do you get the fruit of the Spirit? How do you come to love, joy, peace and patience? How do you come to it? By working hard or by hearing with faith? So imagine the fruit of the Spirit. Imagine walking into that church You've got Jew, you've got Gentile, you've got the fruit of God there, you've got worship. And then Paul finds out not long afterwards that if you go back to this same church, you've got the Jews over there, you've got the Gentiles over there, you've got the Jews eating food over there, you've got the Gentile table over there, you've got an apostle over there leading the way in division. And then 
There's backbiting, fighting, jealousy, murder, adultery. That's what happened. They went back to the flesh. They went back to the bad tree and said, this bad tree can bear good fruit. Don't think that's funny. Just just read the self-help books. Read and come to a place to understand what the world says. You can make it. You can change. It's going to a polluted fountain and saying, I'm going to try and produce something good. Have you grown in your Christian faith? Have you gone on to maturity? If not, you've got a problem with your hearing. That's all it is. If you don't grow, and what we call sanctification, what we call holiness of living, is simply getting used to having your sins forgiven in Christ. I said it differently because if I say the way it's... um, My wife doesn't like it when I say sanctification is the art of getting used to your justification. She hates it. But holiness of living is actually a matter of getting used to the fact that God doesn't count sin against your conscience. The curse is felt in the conscience. God doesn't curse you. He blesses you in the conscience. And I have to say the conscience because there are preachers out there now saying God has removed the curse so if you don't get sick, you're blessed. No, the curse is in the conscience. When you break God's law, you felt guilt and shame in your conscience. And then you spend all your time trying to what? Pay that off, work that off, and God says, not guilty. Not guilty because of what he does in his son, because Christ takes the curse, Christ takes the sin. As Luther said, Christ becomes the greatest sinner in the whole world. How does that fit with your nice Christianity? Because Christianity can be really nice and it can be really gentle and beautiful, but when you hear that God's Son was the greatest sinner of all time on that cross, He became sin. Adolf Hitler was in him. And God now looks at you through Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And do you know what he sees? He doesn't see any sin. Oh yeah, sin remains in you, but for Christ's sake, he doesn't see it. How's our hearing? Who wants to crucify me? Who thinks I'm a heretic? What did they think of Luther? They wanted to kill him. Luther faced the same Roman Catholic heresy of his day. The heresy was this. It's faith in Christ and that's a good beginning. But to actually reach the goal, to become holy, to be fully accepted with God, you must devote yourself to the church. How how, how subtle is that? Is devoting yourself to the church bad? But if you devote yourself to the church in order to become something in God's eyes, you're accursed. If you do certain works in accordance with the tradition, then maybe God will accept you in the end. That was the heresy. And Luther said, until I understood 
that the righteous live by faith from first to last. I was a sinner and I hated God. Now let me, let me tell you, the righteous shall live by faith is guilt-free living. That's what it is. The righteous shall live by faith is curse-free, guilt-free living. Under the constraint of the person and work of the Holy Spirit who causes you to rely not on works of the law but to rely on the work of God's grace in Jesus Christ. So to rely on anything else but Christ for your acceptance with the Father, now you need to hear this very carefully, I use the word rely, to rely on anything else but Christ for your righteousness with the Father is to be under the curse of the law. It's to disobey the gospel. Obedience to God is to obey the gospel. What's the gospel? Christ places you in right relationship with God the Father. Christ forgives your sins. Obey that. Obey that all your sins have been forgiven. How do you obey that message? You believe it. But if you insist on relying on works of the law, you're under a curse. What does the curse look like? Go back and read Deuteronomy 27 and 28. I wonder how much of the curse is affecting some of our psychological illnesses. Cursed are those who rely on works of the law. Do you know that when you're actually relying on something else other than Jesus, you have coveting in your heart, you have jealousy in your heart, you're angry, you're bitter and you're deeply critical. And your criticalness manifests itself just as the fruit of the Spirit manifests itself. Your critical heart shows in the demeanour of your face because your face is downcast because your conscience is miserable under guilt. So those who look to the Lord, their faces are radiant. It's a serious thing to think that you're good enough to obey the law. What a high-handed arrogance any one of us can think, including me, when I try to do it. Luther says this, those who rely on works of the law are rejecting Christ and his righteousness. Get it? It's active. It's a verb. They're rejecting it. Why? Because they're relying on works of the law. And then he says, but those who are relying on works of the law can never keep it and they never do because no one can because to keep it is to be perfectly, blamelessly holy before God and no one can do that. So, can you see why Paul says you're foolish? How can you try by the law when you can't do it? To be under... The curse is to also be under the power of Satan's constant torment in your conscience and and the constant torment of accusation. It's to actually begin to look at the creation as a means of relief. It's the place of idolatry where you go to look for things to ease your pain. There's bottle-o's all over cans, isn't there? We have to suppress the pain. 
The other thing that Luther says is that when we rely on works of the law, it's our expression of our hatred for God. We're expressing our hatred of him. Do you, who wants a nice sentimental sermon from me this morning? I'm not going to give you one ever by God's grace. I would rather be crucified than give you some baloney because it won't set you free. What is not of faith is sin. Romans 14:23. What is not of faith is sin. At least 15 times in this chapter, Paul refers to faith in Christ 15 times as being the way of receiving God's promised blessing to us. Now, that is in opposition to law way and in opposition to the curse. So you've got faith over here, you've got blessing, you've got no curse, you've got the fulfilment of the Abrahamic blessing to the nations and then over here you have law and reason and works and curse. He puts them in complete opposition and he says, what about Abraham? What did Abraham do to get accounted righteous? He went outside, God showed him the stars and said, believe. Well, he didn't even say believe. He just made him a promise. And what did Abraham do? Just believe. He was accounted righteous. He had his inheritance. Now, so do all his children. All Abraham's children, all the father's children, all they do is believe and receive, believe and receive for the rest of their lives. And the fruit and the work comes from that. Luther goes on to say there can be no more holy religion or service to God than faith. Faith is the chief work that glorifies God. So, who's going to leave here today and say, I'm now going to live by faith? I'm sure many of you and probably all of you have been living by faith. But what actually happens to us? What happens when we leave this building? What happens when you get home with wife and husband? What happens when you try to raise your children? Who here doesn't find that actually in all kinds of relationships you begin to fail? Is that true? See, the sign, the sign of Christian maturity is how you deal with your failures. That sounds funny, doesn't it? Imagine writing a book. The sign of Christian maturity is how you deal with your failures. It wouldn't sell anywhere near as good as the other titles. The sign of Christian maturity is do you deal with your failures, present tense, on the back of the work of Christ? Do you deal with your failures by allowing that person and work of Jesus Christ to affect your heart and conscience through the Holy Spirit present do you actually say, I have failed but I thank you God that that's not counted against me and I'm going to get on living by faith. Now when you do that, you might not have a whole lot of feelings. You might have had a big blow up with your husband. I'm not looking at anyone here in particular. And you will feel out of kilter with God. But get it, feeling is not faith. Please, I beg you, Learn that. So, when you have a big blow up with your husband, the answer is not, I need to feel that I'm right with God, I need to feel that I'm right with my husband. No, the answer is something outside of you. It's the work of God in Jesus Christ which is a once for all sacrifice 
and to be mature, to come back into that relationship is to say, I failed but I thank you that I am forgiven to receive that by faith and when you go back to your husband or your wife, you go back in the spirit. If you don't, you will go back in the flesh and you'll tell them how wrong they've been and then you'll tell them how right you've been. But when you're actually right, in God's eyes you can be wrong and you can even go back in the spirit and say, no, I was wrong. The flesh is the place of deep pride. What does the blessing of Abraham look like to us? Well, let me spell it out and let me finish. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you that is in Christ shall all the nations be blessed. The blessing is this, when the spirit comes through hearing with faith, our consciences are cleansed from the curse of the law. Why? Because Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. So I come back to how I began. How do you grow in the Christian faith? How did the, how did the Galatians actually come into that experience of the blessing? What did they do to experience the blessing of the Spirit in the conscience? What did they do? They heard with faith. Now, I'm going to say something and it's probably better when I read it to myself in my notes than when I read it to you, but I hope you hear it and if you need to talk about it afterwards, please do. The Holy Spirit blesses our conscience with the forgiveness of the guilt of our sin and he teaches our conscience not to receive anything but God's grace in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit teaches you not to receive anything but God's grace in Jesus Christ. That means even when he convicts you of sin, he will convict you of grace even more. Now that takes a lifetime of learning to grow in. In one moment you're saved by grace and then you spend the next however many years learning to live that life of grace. So I'm going to give an illustration, even though it's been a little bit of a long sermon, you all look very engaged. I used to be a tennis coach and I had quite advanced students. Most of them were playing competition. I had one young kid who... It was a shame that he was so small but he's gone on to be quite a good tennis player. But what I used to do is I had a bucket of balls and I would stand in the middle of the court and I would feed hundreds of balls to their, one, to their forehand, for example. And I would do it hour after hour, week after week to, to, to their strokes. And the goal was that they could then hit the ball in the hitting zone where they were meant to with a smooth stroke. So when the technique's right, they can then move all over the court. It doesn't matter if the ball's over there, over there, they can run and they can find that hitting zone. But that hitting zone and that stroke came through discipline. They were disciplined and I had to discipline them in that area. Now, I only had one kid that ever really did it properly. The other kids got bored of it. Oh, I want to play a game. But I had this one kid who would stand there And he ended up with the most beautiful technique you've ever seen. 
and he's actually now playing in America. The Spirit will not let your faith or your conscience come under anything but the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And the habit of the soul, the habit of the Spirit in your life will be that at the point of sin and failure, what's going to be the discipline? I am a man or a woman in Christ. I am a man or a woman who is not cursed. I am a man or a woman who stands under the blessing of Christ. And the Spirit works that in you. And the discipline of faith to learn to live in that takes time. And this sermon series was started because people said, Chris, can you preach more on sanctification and justification? I've just preached your sanctification to you. Have you heard it? Have you heard it grounded in justification? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.